Thank you, Tom, for your introduction. My name is Mark, as Tom says. I was going to say, I was going to say nice to see you, but of course I can't. Uh, I trust you can see me. I trust everyone's doing okay. I trust you had a t- chance to get a cup of coffee or whatever and to relax. Thank you for joining us this morning. Well, this morning I want to talk about the heart. I want to go to the heart of the very character of God. I want to talk about his extraordinary, unique, selfless love. I want to talk about our response to that love. I want to show that although God grieves desperately over the mess of this world, his love for this world, even in the messiest aspects, is completely undiminished. He came for the broken. He has a heart for the poor and the needy. And so that's the title of my talk today. It's a matter of the heart. But first, let's pray. Um, Sometimes I think um, when we're in our homes, our expectations of God being present with us can be a little bit modest. And uh, God says, I am with you always. And he says, uh, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I just want us to humbly come before God and ask for his presence, ask for his Holy Spirit to be with us. Lord God, thank you so much that you promised to be with us. And I just pray you'd raise our faith this morning that you are with us. The tangible, beautiful presence, the loving presence of God is with us. Lord, come to us by your Spirit. We need you. Come and help us. Come and fill us. Come and make us more like you. Come and stir our hearts. Lord, stir our hearts, I pray, this morning, that we might capture more of your great love, your extraordinary goodness, your kindness. Lord, stir us. We don't want to go away from this morning uh, just uh, saying nice, nice, nice talk, nice time of worship. Lord, we want to be stirred. We want, we want you. So I pray, come, raise our faith. Come to us all this morning, whether we're on our own or with family, in a bubble with some other people. Lord God, come, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as Tom said, this is part of our mini-series about the big picture. And the aspect of the big picture that we're going to be looking at today is the heart of God towards you and towards me and indeed the whole world. So in perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, it says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the story of the unfathomable love of God for his world, for you and for me and for all those that don't yet know him. And the story goes like this, that God made man in his own image to have a people for himself, a people who lived in perfect harmony with him. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, we see this picture of man and God walking together in the garden, enjoying the closest of fellowship. Nothing had come between them. And this is how, folks, it was always meant to be. But what happened? We rebelled. We decided we knew better than God. We demanded to do things our own way. 
And the result was disaster. Separation from God. And all that goes with that. Corruption, strife, fear, death. But such is God's great heart of love for us that he determined that he will get us back. This has been his whole purpose since that terrible day of separation. And he's gone to the most extreme measures to achieve it. To become one of us. To take all our rebellion and rubbish to himself, on himself, on the cross. Cancelling it out. And thereby reconciling us to him again. Just as he as it was always meant to be. Jesus gave, gave his very self to restore people to himself. We know the outcome of the story, don't we? Because the Bible tells us God does indeed get his people back. It tells us in the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in the penultimate chapter, Revelation 21, I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them. What a glorious picture we have to look forward to, being completely reconciled to God in the most intimate of fellowship with him, just as he always intended it to be. It's his love that drives his passion to win his people back to himself. It's his love that was the sure certainty that he would lay down his life, uncomplaining, but dying a horrible death on a cross for you and for me. There is no more perfect expression of love than the sacrificial life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us never forget that God is love. His heart towards mankind is and always has been love. Now Chris is going to put up a slide now and it's from 1 John 4. And I'm just going to read it out. This is a key scripture for us today. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed us his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our, sins, for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. What a beautiful scripture. Well, we've all been on a journey haven't we? And we're all still on a journey. And when I was exploring Christianity, it was the truth of that extraordinary self-sacrificial love of God that arrested me 
No other demonstration of love came close to that. I began to look at other religions, explore a few things, but it was only in Jesus that I saw the purest kind of love, the extraordinary, unique love of God that made him give up the everlasting, glorious perfection of heaven to come to this messy, corrupt, selfish world to show us his character while he was alive on earth and then sacrificially to die the most horrible death to win me back, to win you back, to win the world back for himself and to know the incomparable wonder again of a relationship with the creator of the universe. Wow, that is love. No other religion gets close to that. Many of them are about how you can earn your way back to God. Do it yourself. But in Christianity, not only does God provide the way back, it is him, it is God who pays the price for it. He didn't send someone else to die, as the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. He did it himself. You could say that in Jesus we see the most costly identification with the needs of others that has ever been. <clears throat> he came to be one of us, to experience our grief, our pain, our disappointment. He experienced it firsthand. This is how far God is prepared to go to get you and me back. Well, our journeys are all different, but they all started with his love, extended to us just as we are, the kind of love that accepts us and comes to us with no preconditions, a love that says, you are valuable, you are important, you are the pinnacle of my creation, you are made in my image. It's important to remember that he loves us even in our mess and our greed and our failure. There's no precondition to the love of God. He didn't demand repentance before going to the cross. He talked about the need to, for people to turn their hearts towards him, to repent. He did do that. But he didn't demand it before he laid down his life. He didn't say, there's got to be enough of you who've repented before I lay down my life. He did it. At the, own in, at, the, at the end, in fact, he was alone. His disciples deserted him. He did it because he loved us. Romans, 8, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, he died. While we were yet sinners, he died. And that's all of our stories. We were all separated once. Even if you were, had the privilege of being brought up in a great Christian home, which some of us have, and we thank God for Christian homes. They're fantastic. But we've all been in that place of separation. We've all had to, had to come to the point where we've experienced his love and acceptance and grace for ourselves. We must never forget that salvation is God's initiative, not ours. It's so important that we remember these things in the treatment of other people, especially those that don't know God. Sometimes it's good as Christians to look back on our journey and remember how very kind, how very patient, how very forgiving he's been with us. He has, I know, from my own experience, that I've just been in such a mess. But his love and his 
goodness towards me has never failed. It's good to remember how far we've come, what he's protected us from on our journey, even when we've been at our most rebellious and self-centered. In thinking about those who do not yet know him, let's never forget that we were in that situation once. Let's never forget that it's by his grace alone that we've come to know him. Wasn't it great to hear the stories of Alex and Flick um, uh, at their baptisms last week, for those that uh, saw that? It was great to hear their stories, their journey. And they showed, really, didn't they, how patiently and kindly God has dealt with them and brought them through to a real relationship with him. And it's patient and kind and loving that who God is. And it's what he did. When Jesus was on earth, he was, wasn't uh, up with the religious leaders all the time. In fact, he was most critical of them. He was with the people. And he was often around the most messy people in the community. He was accused of mixing with tax collectors who were the most despised people in the community. Hated because they represented a, a wrong authority that was extracting money from people. And very often they were corrupt and took much more than they should. They were hated. He, was, he mixed with the prostitutes and the sick and those with disabilities, and the marginalized, and the poor, and the dispossessed. So much so that in Matthew 9, there's a story which says, the Pharisees asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with these people, with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overheard them, and he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've come for those furthest from me to win them back. So what does this mean for us? Well, I just want to um, tell a little story that Jesus told in Luke 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And a lot of us know this. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. But what happened was a teacher in the law said to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, um, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan is that a guy is going down the road, a very rocky, craggy road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was renowned for where robbers hung out. It was a dangerous place to go. In fact, it was incredibly foolish of the man to go down there on his own. But he did, and yeah, he did get attacked by robbers. He got beaten, he got robbed and mugged, and he was left half dead. And the story goes, as Jesus tells it, that a priest goes down the road. He sees the guy there lying half dead, and he passes by on the other side. And then a Levite, someone who served in the temple, does the same. He sees the guy there, goes down the road, sees the guy there, and passes by on the other side. He doesn't stop. But then a Samaritan comes down the road. Now, we need to understand that this is the point Jesus was making here. The Samaritans were the worst enemies of the Jews. They, didn't, they hated each other. They absolutely despised each other. They wouldn't have anything to do with each other. Of the three... The one that could justifiably say, I'm not stopping here, was the Samaritan. But Jesus makes the point. The Samaritan was the one who stopped, bandaged the man's wounds, put him on a donkey, took him to shelter, paid for his food and his care, and said, if that's not enough, I'll come back and pay more later. And Jesus says 
to the uh, expert in the law who had asked him the first question, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. And Jesus says this, go and do likewise. Jesus exhorts us to show love and mercy that goes beyond cultural, ethnic, and faith barriers. It is to anyone who has need. That is what he's saying. In another passage, in Matthew 5, he says this, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Love with that perfect love, which goes beyond those barriers. He exhorts us to show love and mercy as he himself did. It's a matter of the heart, the heart of God. And we are called to carry on the works he was doing, to love and serve as he did, to be his hands and his feet, to demonstrate the love that God has for the world. And in John 14, it says this incredible thing. Jesus says this incredible thing. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And he then goes on to say, and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father and because he'll send the Holy Spirit to enable us to do those very things. That's extraordinary. You know, look at Jesus. You couldn't do more than that. But he says, no, there's more works to be done in my name. And incredibly, the more mess you're in, it seems the more you're able to receive the love of God. In a wonderful way, that can only be God. People in the most mess are some of the most receptive to him. I've seen this very often. Somehow, people in the greatest need have an honesty which says, I know I can't do this on my own. I know I need God. I've come to the end. And then God is there for them. God's heart for those in need is such that when we do reach out to people, he can't do anything but bless us. This is an extraordinary truth. But it's clear in the Bible that that is the case. And there's a great example of that in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 58. And the background to this is that the people of God were divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And the enemy, the Assyrians, had already overrun the kingdom of Israel in the north. And in the kingdom of Judah, they were beginning to experience Assyrians' incursions into their country. They were destroying farms and livelihoods. They were making people homeless. They were causing havoc. And the people of God in, in, in the kingdom of Judah began to cry out to God. But in all honesty, the prophet says, they were extraordinarily half-hearted. They had a day's fast here and there, but often those fasts would end up in quarreling and strife. And the prophet says to the people this, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the chains of injustice, 
to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break the yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Doesn't that sound like the Good Samaritan story? Do not, uh, and when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. When we do these things, he will be with us. Here I am. God will bless us as we lovingly serve the needs of others. That is what the prophet is saying. Well, how do we get this heart for others? Let's go back, uh, Chris, if we could, to the slide, 1 John 4, 17. Uh, Is it up there? I just want to look at the last part there where it starts, dear friends. Let me get that. So this is the last part of that scripture that we looked at earlier. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He's saying, as he lives in us, his love is made complete in us. We're transformed into his likeness, and his likeness is love. Do you remember earlier I quoted Jesus saying to the the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus is quoting from the book of the prophet Hosea in chapter 6. And the prophet berates the listener for having a shallow, short-lived sort of love. It says, What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Now, if I'm honest, this is like me. Uh, My love is not consistent. Sometimes, if I'm honest, when I'm cross and frustrated and tired, it hardly seems present at all. It comes and goes, like the prophet says, like the morning cloud and the dew that goes away early. But Jesus, in John 15, says this, I am the vine. I'm the source. I'm the one that feeds you. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And this is sobering, but so true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So folks, if we want to love like him, we have to be rooted in the vine. We have to be dependent on him. We have to let him be the source. As we allow him to dwell in us, to transform him by his presence in us and with us, then we can love like him. We need our hearts to be touched by his love. Without, without it, 
we can't do anything, as he says. We need to let him do it in us. So I'm sure many of us will remember the series we did at the beginning of the year, those great little videos that lots of people did, uh, and they're all about the one-anothering verses, the one-anothering verses of which there are many in the Bible. And each of the videos ended with this kind of statement. We love like this because he first loved us like this. And I guess you could read that like, okay, let's dutifully copy him. And I'm not saying that trying to emulate Jesus is a bad thing. (laughs) It's a good thing. But really, the heart of it is we love like him. We can only really love like him when he has put his love in us. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I just want to read part of Psalm 113. It's a great illustration of the heart of God. Uh, And it goes like this. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. This is the heart of God. His heart is to meet our needs in every way and set us with princes, to raise us up, to have access to all the glorious wonder that is found in him. We are called to meet the needs of others. I believe that God has given us our amazing new building, the Hope Center, to do just that and to do it abundantly, extending open hands to those around us in need in our town and possibly even beyond. There are many others doing good in our town. I'm so aware of that. And it is much credit to them. But Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, the most sacrificial, the most authentic, the most costly, the most beautiful love there could ever be. And our love to others in Jesus should be more authentic than any any other kind of love. And our offer of hope in Jesus should be more profound than any, any other kind of hope. And God has given us this amazing strategic place in our town and he's going to use us. He's going to use that building as a tool to meet the needs of many and a good proportion of them will come to know him too. What could be better than that? And we're already um, literally displaying hope to the town through those enormous signs sending their message down the street. We're saying, hope is here. And I believe God is going to give us amazing opportunities to demonstrate his love to the people in need in our town in the future in extraordinary ways. And he's going to do that without judging. And, and he wants us to do that, remembering the kindness that God has shown us in our journey of faith towards him. 
So in January this year, I went to, uh, before the lockdown, I went to a conference in Bristol, and a seminar there was called Transforming Bristol into a City of Hope. And uh, uh, what had happened there was that churches, some of the biggest churches in the town, there's quite a lot of them, had decided to sort of stop worrying about doctrinal differences and, and things like that. And they decided intentionally to work together to impact the city for good. And having established a reputation, they were now working with the business sector, with the local authority, uh, with other, other charities and they were seeing extraordinary things happening. Someone told a story of um, a church in the town, in the city of Bristol, uh, where uh, in the times of the slave trade, the Christians would pray for the slave ship captains. They'd pray for commercial success for their venture. It's extraordinary. But the fantastic, redemptive, thing is that now there are Christians in that same church praying against human trafficking. They are praying for love in the city. They're praying for the needy and for the destitute, and they're seeing things happen. And we're beginning to see things happen in Ipswich. I'm so excited by what God is already uh, able to use us to do. And uh, in preparation for this, I asked a few people, including the leaders of some of our Loving Our Town ministries and some others, uh, to uh, give us some testimonies. And we're going to... Um, and I've... Oh dear, I've forgotten to bring them with me. <laughs> but um, we've got some on a video. and We're going to look at three short videos now where some of these testimonies... Uh, people are talking about what they've been able to do to show some of the love of God to our town. So can we show, roll the videos now? Thank you. We've been running the Christians Against Poverty Life Skills course for a couple of years now. And over that time, we've had the privilege of um, helping a number of people from a range of different backgrounds. Some have been recently homeless. Some have been seeking work. Some have been single parents. Some have lost loved ones recently and others have had mental health or learning disability problems. In our last course, where we had the privilege of helping someone to put together a budget. Um, she was in a position where from one month to the next, she couldn't guarantee that she'd have enough money to, to buy food. And so we're able to break down her budget with her, help her to learn the tools and techniques that you need to be able to put together um, a working budget. And by the end of the course, she was able to be sure that she could pay her bills to buy food and even have a small amount left for savings. At the end of the course, she fed back that um, she had uh, loved the course and that it, it felt like a huge weight had been lifted off her shoulders. Over the last year, I've just been able to help serve at Hope Cafe and there's been a particular man that I've delivered food to who is quite lonely and, and vulnerable and his wife recently passed away and, and uh, yeah, he's quite, he struggled with it quite a bit and just being a bit lonely, but through Hope Cafe, been able to deliver food to him, been able to pray with him, hug him, even though I probably shouldn't have. And um, through sharing with, uh, through delivering meals and 
um, sharing Jesus with him. He's he's planning to come to church when church opens up. And I was also able to meet his neighbours and uh, their children and get to chat to them. So it's just an amazing way to to show love on the town and 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 share Jesus with people. Hey guys, work at a coffee shop and had an extended time with a couple of elderly ladies, one who was a spiritualist, one was a Catholic, and a good 20, 25 minutes, which is really precious actually. Got to listen to them, hear about them, hear about their family, hear about their lives, uh, just giving them the time of day really, um, which was which led to a, an encounter where I was able to pray for this lady's eyesight, um, and she's uh, blind in one of her eyes, and it got partially healed, which was great. Um, and you know the spiritualist recognized uh, Jesus's healing power and it got to an opportunity to share about Jesus which was which was wonderful um, but what was really great is that um, they really were they really felt God's love and um, was able to just you know uh, see them off and so I was just really blessed and encouraged that just God loves people so much and we give people the time he can move Great, thank you guys. Well, I found, I found the other ones. I'll just go through them quite quickly. One uh, was sent to me by um, Dan Summers, who runs the soup kitchen with Paul Goldring. And Dan says that uh, after he'd been doing some cafe deliveries, he's been hanging around in the town and he's been uh, made friends with uh, a guy who had a drug problem. Uh, as he was able to, you know, with the, with the social distancing and, and all the rest of it, following the guidelines. And uh, he was able to pray for this guy a few times. And this guy has actually moved away now, but has reported that he is free from his drug addiction. And, um, and then he's gone on to say he blames the Bible. <laughs> So that's great. And then um, uh, Megan, who runs our um, TOTS mother and toddler group, uh, sent me a lovely story about someone that she's uh, been able to befriend through TOTS and pray for, despite her having some serious sickness. And that lady has been touched by that and is now following us online and connecting with, with the church that she can right now. I just want to mention um, TCAS, which is the Christian Advice Service. And uh, Trevor Stafford uh, runs that, and it's a fantastic service to people who are struggling to get um, to understand what their rights are under our welfare system and to have access to the things that they need through that system. And uh, Trevor's worked with a lot of people over the last year or so, more than that. Um, and, he's seen, and they've seen extraordinary uh, a breakthrough in the sense of people being able to uh, sort out housing problems, uh, sort out welfare benefits issues, sort out even relational issues. And Trevor would put that down, uh, he's humbly, not to his own skill, but to God moving in people's uh, lives and in their hearts. And uh, he says what the most extraordinary thing is that he's learnt uh, through the other people he works with on TCAS, much more about God and about humanity. And he basically wanted me to emphasize how grateful he is that God is at work in these things. Uh, thank you, Trevor, uh, so much for that. And just a couple that I'd mention. 
uh, in, our, in, in the community cafe, which of course is only doing deliveries at the moment. Uh, before we were doing deliveries, we were, people were meeting in the Hope Center, and uh, we were so privileged to have some extraordinary conversations and in those times. A number of people that we've just been open with, relaxed with, just wanted to talk to without really an agenda. Uh, some of those people have come through to Alpha and to real faith in Jesus. Uh, I just want to put a shout out to a couple of my very good friends, Darren and Darren, who have done exactly that. Great people who I love and who continue to serve us in the, in the cafe in a wonderful way. And uh, now, of course, we're doing deliveries, but those conversations that we had, okay, they have to be a little bit shorter, they have to be uh, socially distanced, and they have to be on the kind of doorstep, but they're still happening. Our drivers come back and say, I was just able to pray for this person or have a great conversation. It's all part of what God is doing. And it's exciting. And I absolutely know that he's going to do more. And just as I was so stirred by seeing that thing in Bristol, building uh, Bristol as a city of hope, I absolutely believe that God is saying to us, I want you to be part of building Ipswich as a town, and hopefully one day a city of hope. That's what we're declaring right outside our building with those amazing signs.